Good morning. This is Dr. Cristello, and today we are going to talk about the worst problems with diabetes that are the absolute least treated. Again, I'm Dr. Cristello. I'm a diabetes health coach. I'm a medication expert. I'm a clinical pharmacist, and I have been accused of being a bit of an angry pharmacist because I just like things to make sense. Can we just have some things make sense, please? Today is really important because we're going to talk about some of the mental health issues that actually impact people with diabetes or the diabetes that impacts mental health. It actually can go both ways. But this is one of those things that really is the least treated, and it's really not addressed very properly. Okay, so I'm actually going to start you off today with a story. Who doesn't like stories? And I'm going to talk about Eric, one of my former patients. So Eric was retired military and a first responder at the September 11th terrorist attacks in New York. I think we all can remember where we were on that day. He was also an uncontrolled diabetic and, again, one of my favorite patients because he was just a regular guy, you know, trying to deal with life and kids. And he actually had a Boston accent, which I like to poke fun of uh, during most of our clinic times. But anyway, um, you know, it made him really easy to talk to and really relatable. And diabetes for him was just one more burden that he carried around with him at all times, something he always had to worry about. Now, I joke that we often fought about his chocolate milk addiction, but the one element that truly drove his treatment plan for managing this disease, his diabetes, was the vivid and horrible memories that he gained working as a hero on that fateful day in 2001. He doesn't talk about that day except to say that he will never go back there. All right, he will never go back there, which again, I'm not sure what exactly he means, but he was very adamant about not even looking at those memories. All right. So don't misunderstand here. There were times during the year that Eric did exceptionally well with reducing his need for medication and having very near normal blood sugars. He exercised, avoided sugars and starch, and even took his medication on a daily basis. So there are times during the, the year he did amazing. He would say he wanted to give his sons an example because he knew that they were at risk for diabetes just like he had. And funny enough, they liked chocolate milk just as much as he did. I think it was a, they play ice hockey. Maybe it was an ice hockey thing. So there were times during the year that he stuck to the plan for his diabetes that we created together and things were really good. They were fine. They were great. He was lean. He was mean. He was a working machine. Uh, now, I don't have the memories that Eric has or did or has. And I don't know if the slight chill and changes that arrive in September triggered his memories or just the date on the calendar. But I knew that come fall, the treatment plan needed to be adjusted to meet his change in demeanor. So the medicine needed to match the mindset. And I think sometimes we get that really wrong when it comes to medicine. So I remember several times seeing him stare at me in horror during appointments as tears rolled down his cheeks. It was, it was, it was awful. And it was horror at crying in front of me maybe, but also the horror of the images that he was trying really desperately to keep locked away and not look at ever again. Now, the one thing I did not do was try to say things like, hey, look on the bright side. Look at all the great things you have in your life. Or mind over manner, Eric, because you know what? I feel this would have, it would have only deepened the wound that he had. 
and destroyed the trust that we had built between each other as a patient and a provider. I would have only sounded completely patronizing and he would have realized my complete ignorance of his pain and I would have revealed it. Now, that is a pain I still cannot imagine. So that is not what he needed at that point. No, he needed understanding. He needed compassion. He needed me to see him as the human being he was at that moment instead of trying to force him into a treatment plan that just didn't match with where he was at that time. Again, we get this very wrong sometimes in medicine. So during the months from September through December, we steered the plan toward taking some med- some medication daily and avoiding liquid sugars. Like that's literally all we could get done. When he at that point in the year kind of just gave up, gave up at life, didn't care. This was how he avoided complete physical breakdown and was able to arrive in January with something workable and reversible and we start kind of started all over again. Now this was the rhythm of his diabetes. Although each September we did get a little bit better. And my job was to work with Eric to keep his diabetes managed. But what is not discussed after earning all the degrees and all the letters that make providers and myself qualified to do this is that without first treating his mind or understanding his mindset, his mindset, my efforts would have always fallen short, would have always failed entirely. Do you see what I'm saying? Without checking in mentally, without checking in on where he is in his brain, nothing I did would have mattered. Now, I could even stretch this, and this is actually much more of the truth than than I think many doctors and providers want to believe, but I could stretch this to say that providers and doctors work only as consultants to people with disease, right? Because it is truly up to the patient the person with the problem, with the disease, to take action. Otherwise, you're just kind of, you know, you're just kind of, you know, talking to somebody and they're not picking up what you're putting down because they're not ready. All right. Again, this is a really big problem in medicine. Now, Eric isn't the only case. He's just one, you know, that really stuck with me because I just liked him a whole lot and I liked his family. I work with overstressed mothers that put partners, kids, pets ahead of them in every aspect of life. If something's going to give, it's going to be the mom's schedule, the mom's health, the mom's free time. They skip medication doses. Yes, they skip medication doses to make sure the kids get to soccer on time or eat at the, the drive-thru just to avoid arguments. Okay, this is these are years of battle on the home front, just just worn down, and they give up trying to take care of themselves. I work with a few just like that. Caregivers. Let's talk about caregivers for a second. Caregivers avoid spending money on medications or counseling or interventions for themselves or even food or even money on healthy food in order to give comfort and love to a parent that has very little time left. So ironically, this starts to close the door on their chance to extend their own lives, right? Um, But they have tried to stretch the resources. They've tried to make things fit and it's too hard and they give up. They give up. And I know you're out there hearing this. All of these people have a battle inside that they are fighting. And as the thought of their own health comes roaring to the surface, they quickly push it away. They brush it aside. They bury it. They put a wall. They they put a rock in front of it. They don't want to think about it because that thought alone causes pain and anxiety because they know they should be doing more for themselves and they feel they can't. This cycle kind of keeps going. So I, th- I know people feel what I'm talking about. I know you know what I'm talking about because I can say to, you know, 
For example, I can say to my husband, this needs to get done. And he can hear the words and know they are true, but he doesn't feel it on the inside. And because of that, he's unable to take action. And this is kind of what these people are going through. Like, I know I need to take care of myself. I know I need to make better choices. But all they feel is what? All they feel is depression, anxiety, anger, sadness. They feel their mountains. They feel their mountains and they can't get beyond them. And so here's what makes things worse. And this this is one of my, my peeves. This is a peeve I have because we need to see people as human beings. See people as human beings first. See their mental health first. Then we can make progress because they will go in to see their doctors and the doctors see it. They see that they're not taking care of themselves. But instead of treating them with like the compassion and understanding they need, they treat them with logic. They treat emotion with logic. That's a really bad combination. So the doctors will remind them of the damage that their body's, you know, going through. And then the risk of having a who knows what kidney disease, heart failure, heart disease. And they will remind them of eventually it's all going to end, you know, because you're making bad choices. What does that do? I'll tell you what it does is serve to drive them deeper into that depression and that anger and that anxiety and that sadness and isolates them. And at the same time, their feelings, what they're going through with that, it's completely discredited. They completely discredit that person's feelings and where they are. And again, they feel isolated. This happens a lot when somebody experiences grief as well. If somebody experiences, you know, the grief of passing, you know, a passing child, a passing parent, a passing spouse, people are like, look on the bright side, you still got this. That doesn't work. All you're doing is discrediting their feelings. You're not helping them and you're pushing them further away and isolating them. These people need to be seen. Your patient needs to be seen, okay, where they are. So if we want to see patients flourish, if we want to stop worrying about people with diabetes succumbing to the complications of the disease, if, if we really want progress as a medical community, then, you know, we need to treat the mind of the patient, of the human being in front of you. Otherwise, we're just wasting our time. And this actually deepens their shame. Like, think about it. They went to the doctor. They wanted to get help. What can I do? I just don't feel good. I don't, you know, I feel, like I said, depression, anxiety, anger, and sadness. What do I do? And then again, they're treated with a logical rambling of everything that will happen to them. And then not only do they feel like disheartened, but ashamed of themselves. Ashamed. Okay. And that in itself is a shame because that's not what we should be doing. So we got to start with what can be done and not with what should be done in an ideal world because we don't live there. The most successful clients I've ever had in my coaching program start with a single action item and they put it into place one at a time, right? So for example, you know, take one metformin pill each morning. Is it the target dose? Probably not. But they're taking one pill every morning. Okay, check that off the list as a win because before they weren't doing anything. Inject your long-acting insulin each night, mom, who's too busy to take her, her dose of medicine. Start there. Don't start with perfect. Okay? That's a win. Injecting your long-acting insulin each night for those with type 1 and type 1 and a half diabetes, that's a huge win. How about switching your sweetener to something that drops your blood sugar? One thing at a time. Make it a habit. How about checking your blood sugar once a day or once a week? That's a win. If you go from doing nothing to one action item, count it as a win. It's not 
It's not the target treatment plan. It's not the best practices, but it's something. Any start is a good start. As this one action becomes a habit, the effort of it falls away. And that person is ready for the next step. And let's be real, slowly remember what it's like to care for and about themselves. Because caring for and about yourself, when you stop doing it after a while, you're going to have to learn that habit all over again. You're going to have to learn how to say, I'm going to take care of myself so I can take care of others. Right? We kind of let ourselves fall away. I mean, people are guilty of this in just about every scenario. And you have to make it a habit to put yourself as a priority. And that's that's actually a feeling inside. Right? That's an action that will start a feeling that will become habit. And it'll and it'll kind of pave the way for the rest rest of the treatment plan. Now, again, through this process, what the doctors learned, what I've learned, what the, you know, through this process is I can already pick out the pitfalls of an individual patient, like on a personal level. And I, and I avoid them. I dodge them. I dodge them like dodgeball. Okay. And I know that they may respond differently at different parts of the year. And I'm ready. I'm ready for it. I was ready for Eric. You're ready for them when they have a relapse and adjust to keep them alive and to keep them engaged in the care. You don't want people throwing their hands up in the air, walking away saying, they don't listen to me, they don't care, they're not hearing me, okay? It's the worst thing you could possibly do. And I wished Eric honestly didn't succumb to his memories every fall, but he did, that was a reality. And I don't blame him. But I was ready with the understanding and plan he needed to make it through his darkest hours. And some of that plan was maybe, you know, you know, get up, get up out of bed every day and take this one pill. Okay. Let's just do that because it's really hard when you're in that, when you're in that mental state to do the ideal because you're not in the ideal. Now let's talk about if I had not had this approach, if I just said, listen, Eric, you need to take care of yourself and gave him a giant lecture, which often happens. If I had not had this approach, he would have just avoided me. And any medical care entirely. Let's be serious. He would have avoided, went to the doctors, I talked to this person, they made me feel bad, I'm done. This entirely defeats the point of being in a profession of healing. That's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to do. I feel like we, we have come to the, a point in the medical field and the profession where we're so stuck on the data and the clinical and this clinical trial and that clinical trial and this new drug and, this, and the mechanism of this drug that we forgot. These are people. We are treating people. And unless we are treating them from the inside out, their mind, their soul, nothing's going to work. Nothing. We're just throwing data at them and giving them a lecture. Okay, completely defeating the point of anything. Now, I don't think, now this is, I'm going to put a little pin here because I've observed a few things over the years, and I don't think it's unrelated that the diabetes epidemic and the mental health problems we have in this country um, are both seeing equally terrifying rises year after year, right? So we have lots and lots of newly diagnosed diabetics and lots and lots of newly um new mental health wave of problems coming about. Okay. And, you know, are they a hundred percent related? No, but they are related on some level that still needs to be revealed, right? Diabetes worsens mental health, mental health worsens diabetes, maybe, maybe a little bit of both, you know, maybe we're picking a la carte, but you know, the connection is there. I have not met a person yet who I've coached 
that did not have some kind, ever so small or large, mental component in their diabetes, whether they're really stuck on not feeling um, restricted or put in a cube with their diabetes or whether it's, you know, really trying to fight the depression after they've given up. There's always a little bit of something. All right. It's there. And I just know that diabetes, I just know, I mean, I've been doing this way too long. I know that diabetes or any chronic disease cannot be managed without seeing people as people first. You know, they have worries, they have fears, and this will obstruct any human's best efforts to be healthy and live fully. And if you want to be successful, we got to treat the minds and the body will absolutely follow. Okay. That, that's the whole point of the story. That is the whole point of me being an angry pharmacist today because I, I have so many stories where that was so obvious that it needed to be addressed and we didn't do it. We didn't do it because, you know, the data and the numbers and the lab results, none of that matters if your patient's given up. None of it. Okay. We have to, we have to figure that out first. All right. You're picking up what in town. You see what I'm saying? Okay. And, um, you know, I'm going to finish with, with one more story. Um, this is a story about a patient that I actually could not help. Okay. This is a story about a patient who obviously, obviously was suffering for some really deep, like depression. You know, his life was frustrating and he was not addressing it. Okay. And he, so he was sent to my clinic because he had uncontrolled diabetes, but particularly he wanted to undergo bariatric surgery. All right. Now my feelings on this are very, very mixed. Okay. But for this particular guy, his primary care was trying to clear him. Um, the surgeon was trying to clear him. He was sent to me for a medication review, but it was very obvious to me that he was suffering. You know, he was suffering. He was in pain. He was not in a good place mentally. He was very overweight and he was actually using food, self-admittedly using food to treat his sadness and treat his depression. How is that somebody who's okay for bariatric surgery? Question mark. Big question mark. How is that okay? Now, okay, so my job was to check his medicines, but if I see something glaring at me that says this isn't the best treatment plan, then that needs to be reported. Now, you know, I talked to this guy and I I could see where he was. I could see where he was in his life. He was frustrated and he was tired and he was sad and he just wanted things to be a little better. And in his brain, if he got bariatric surgery, if he just lost the weight and he was able to reduce his medications and he was able to free himself a little bit from at least the chains of diabetes and everything would be better. And you know what? I totally agree with that. I do. I think I think you're right. We can do the same thing, of course, with intermittent fasting and low-carb eating, right, as we can with bariatric surgery. Bariatric surgery carries the risk of infection, and the bigger you are, the bigger risk, right? So, you know, there's a balance there. But I 100% disagreed with the timing of this because of his mental state. And I told him as such, kindly, because at the other side of that surgery – that stuff is still going to be there. That habit of treating himself with food 
to feel better, it's still going to be there unaddressed, completely unaddressed. And I was a little cranky about the fact that when I read the notes from the surgeon and the primary care physician, they were like, he's cleared for surgery. I thought that was entirely inappropriate. I thought that was totally inappropriate. And you know what? The other thing was that as I was going through his history with him and I'm like, you know, if you, we got some of these high carb options out of the way, you know, you'd probably drop weight pretty quickly. And his answer to me was, I did that once and it worked really well. I'm like, cool, let's do that again. Well, then I started adding food back in and I gained the weight and I'm like, well, yeah. You know, so he answered his own question, but he was set in his brain. This would fix everything. This would fix everything. But, um, you know, I, I gave him what I thought. Now, I gave him what I thought. I gave him a follow-up appointment. I went down to talk to his primary care physician. So just as a tangent real quick, I do get irritated when, you know, providers aren't hearing their patient and what they want as a treatment. I, I get that. So I don't mean to be a little hypocritical here, but there's a big difference between not hearing your patient and having a discussion, okay, and just giving in to their demands when their demands are very ill-informed, okay? It's very ill-informed. There's a difference there. This, this surgery is not going to be an easy road for him, and that's how he was seeing it. All right, so here's the part that irritated me a little bit more. Once the appointment was over, I went down to his primary care physician's office, and I had a discussion about him. And I'm like, I just saw this guy, and he's in no mental state to undergo this surgery, you know, it's not going to be an easy road. You know, the, the problems are still going to be there when he's done. He's suffering from massive depression. He overeats. And he's like, and I looked at him and the primary care physician was like, well, he's not gonna be able to lose the weight on his own. And I'm like, yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree with you on that a hundred percent, but he's not going to be successful with bariatric surgery in its current state either. And we're putting him through a pretty serious surgery. We're altering an organ permanently to treat something that he can easily outdo with overeating. So what are we doing? And I'm like, did you not agree with me that he's completely depressed and has is a really not in a great place? And the primary doc- care doctor looked at me and said, he answered all the questions correctly. I'm just going to let that sink in for a second. He answered all the questions correctly. Okay. So for anybody lost on this particular point, we do a mental health inventory in primary care to check in on people. And a patient can very easily lie on these questions. He obviously was. So he obviously knew the answers that would get him zero red flag so he can proceed with this bariatric surgery. And the primary care doctor knew it. He did, but he documented whatever anyway, and just signed off on the surgery. Really? Now, I didn't get to follow up with this guy. He canceled the follow-up. He canceled, you know, I reached out to him multiple times. He didn't want to hear about it. And that's fine. If that is his decision, I feel like I've done my best to try to educate him and make sure that he knows what needs to be done. I, But I do not agree at all with the way we handled that. We treated a physical problem in a patient that was completely mentally unready for it. And I doubt very much that he was successful. People in good states of mind only have a 30% chance of of being successful. And we put this super low, sad guy through a surgery. All right. By the way, being depressed doesn't help physically heal. Okay. Just doesn't. All right. This made me all the way crazy. 
Um, and I still think about it. Obviously, that was that was a few years ago, and I still think about it. It still bothers me all the way down to my toes that this is the stance we've taken. Now, it's obvious to me, you got to treat the mind of the patient before we can change anything physically. But in this day and age, with so much you know, physical evidence and science, that, by the way, is starting to become a religion, it's not obvious to most providers. It's not. Okay, so, um, and this is why when I'm when I'm talking about diabetes health coaching, when I'm calling people, when they're calling me, and we have a con- that first conversation, the first thing I'm assessing is their readiness for change. Where are they mentally? What are they ready to do? Because if they're not ready, if they're not in a good place, guess what? They're going to waste their money, and I'm not going to have that. I'm going to give them some tips on where they can go, on what they can do. I want to help them. I really do. But I also am not just going to take somebody's money and run. All right. Now, if that's mindset is something they want to work on with me together, that's also that's also a little bit different. But until we treat the mind of the human in front of you, nothing's going to change. You picking up what I'm putting down? You hear what I'm saying? All right. Now, if anybody is ready for diabetes health coaching, you can always find me at stophighsugars.com to get your coaching started and change your life. That's what I do. I help people with diabetes live well with minimal meds. Hallelujah. So if you're ready for that, go to stophighsugars.com. And if you know somebody with diabetes, which statistically I know you do, send them over to stophighsugars.com and we'll see if they're ready. All right. All right, I'm going to sign off for the day. I think that was uh, I think that was enough. I think I rambled on for a bit. All right, and I'll catch you guys on the next episode. Take care.